When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he gave them seven petitions, or seven things to ask for. And the fourth petition, confirmation students, is silence. Give us this day our daily bread. And you guys all have graduated from confirmation, so I was expecting a resounding word altogether. But the fourth petition he adds in the Lord's Prayer is this, give us this day our daily bread. Back when the Atkins diet was a popular thing, people would joke about it and say it's an unbiblical diet because Jesus told us to pray for our daily bread. And it's a fair statement so long as we limit the meaning of daily bread to flour, yeast, water, and salt. But what do we really pray for when we ask God to give us this day our daily bread? We're given a helpful explanation in the Catechism. When Luther explains to us what is meant by this petition, he writes, God indeed gives daily bread to all men, even to the wicked, without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that he would lead us to acknowledge our daily bread as his gift and to receive it with thanksgiving. What Luther is getting at here is the fact that the Lord provides for the needs of all people, even when we don't pray for it. I'll ask a question. I'll put you on the spot again. Who here prayed for the sun to rise this morning? Yeah, I didn't either. Even though I ran through this sermon, I still didn't pray that the sun would rise this morning. But did the sun rise this morning? And did it rise just on believer's yard so where the property line ends of your property, it was darkness? No. The sun rised, rose and shines on all people, righteous or unrighteous. Whether we pray for it or not, the Lord provides for our daily bread. We pray that in this petition that our eyes would be open to see that the Lord is the one who provides for our needs. And so in seeing his provision, that we would also thank him for it. We pray this petition so that we would be grateful for whatever it is that God has provided for us. Luther defines this daily bread as well. He says, or he defines it this way. He says, everything that is required to satisfy our bodily needs, such as food and clothing, house and home, fields and flocks, money and goods, pious parents, children and servants, godly and faithful rulers, good government, seasonable weather, peace and order, or peace and health, order and honor, true friends, good neighbors, and the like. All that to say that daily bread is a whole lot more than flour and yeast. So if any of you choose to do the Atkins diet, you can refrain from eating bread in good conscience, because the Lord will still provide your daily bread. He will still provide for your needs. We see the Lord's provision of daily bread in our text this morning. I'll invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. And I invite you to stand as we read verses 8 through 24, if you're able. And we'll see how the Lord has provided our daily bread. From 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning at verse 8. Again, reading in Jesus' name. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there, gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please, get me a little water in a jar, that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks, that I may go in and prepare for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, 
Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. He said to her, Give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Father God, these are your words and your word, as this woman realizes and as we confess, is truth. We pray this morning that your word would be born in our hearts that you would reveal it to us, that we would understand it, that we would hear it, that we would learn it, and that we would apply it to our own lives too. Sanctify us in your truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Elijah's life and ministry takes up just a few pages on all of Scripture. But I'd be willing to bet that you've each heard a story or two about him. And even though his ministry was brief, he's just a, a blip in all the pages of Scripture, he is and was incredibly significant. I'd be willing to guess that you've heard more lessons on Elijah's life than any other prophet in the, in the, book, in the Bible. Even the prophets that have their own books named after them, save except for Daniel. You've probably heard about him a little more often. But though he was important and God had done some pretty amazing, amazing things through him, James tells us in the New Testament that Elijah was a man just like us. That Elijah had needs just like you and I have needs. And that the Lord is the one who provided for his needs. 1 Kings 17 starts out with Elijah getting instructions to go hide by a brook for a while. He just told the king of Israel that it wasn't going to rain in the land for a while. For a few years. And the king wasn't too happy about it to say the least. And you farmers can understand why. But the king wanted him dead. In the next chapter, Elijah runs into another prophet and is told how intensely the king had been searching for him. In chapter 18, verse 10, Obadiah says to Elijah these words. He says, There is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when they said he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. Whether Elijah knew it or not, the Lord was providing protection for Elijah as he orders him to go to this brook because the king and the queen wanted Elijah dead. Not only does the Lord protect Elijah's life here in this chapter, but he also feeds and sustains the prophet 
I don't know about you, but I've never heard of anyone else that has successfully trained a couple of ravens to bring them food twice a day. But Elijah here has ravens bringing him meat and bread twice a day because the Lord had provided food for these ravens. The Lord brought the ravens to him. The Lord provided water for the prophet too through this brook. But after a while, because it hadn't rained in the land, that brook slowly but surely was drying up and it dried up. But the Lord's provision didn't dry up. Instead, the word of the Lord comes to him and, and tells him that he's already been preparing for Elijah, that there is a woman, a Gentile widow, who will provide for him, that the Lord has already commanded her to provide for this prophet. Elijah is told where this woman is, and he goes to find her. And when he finds this widow, he asks her for some water and asks her for some bread as well. And this is how he is greeted by this woman. I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in a jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat and die. Elijah hears these words. And this woman's jar of flour and jar of oil looks to be just as empty or just as dried up as that brook that he had just come from. In other words, the provision of the Lord seems to be just empty words. There isn't much promise there. Maybe a better way to look at it is there's only promise there. Elijah encourages the woman to go home and to bake him bread first, to take that little bit of flour that she has and to make him some food first before she feeds her son and herself. And he shares the word of the Lord with her and says this, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. And guess what happened? The Lord provided food for Elijah. The Lord provided food for this widow and for her son for many days. We aren't told specifically how long, but the land had no rain for three and a half years. And so for three and a half years, Elijah is being provided for either by this brook until it runs out, and we're not sure how long he was there for, but the only other place we hear of Elijah being is in the home of this widow who is already running out of oil and flour. The Lord provided for his prophet, and he provided for Elijah through Elijah's neighbor, not a physical neighbor, but through this dear Gentile woman, this unclean, widow, a pagan, someone who doesn't love the Lord nor fear the Lord nor even know the Lord. And yet God uses this woman to provide for the needs of his prophet. This daily bread that Elijah was provided with included shelter and safety, food and water, and even a community for him to be with, a house for him to be in, a home for him to live amongst. The Lord provided for his prophet the Lord gives daily bread. We also see in this story the heart of God extending beyond his prophet and even extending beyond his people, extending beyond the borders of Israel. This widow who we're told of lived outside the border of Israel. She was not an Israelite. She was not one of God's chosen people. She doesn't even know the Lord. The widow in this story has a few needs of her own. 
The most obvious one was already covered, her own literal need of literal daily bread. She needed food. It was running out. Her flour was about to run out. She's about to prepare her final meal and then slowly wait as she and her son starve to death. She was a widow. She had no one to provide for her. She had no husband to protect her. She had no breadwinner in the home, just her and her son. But out of nowhere comes this command from some God who she doesn't know that she is supposed to provide for a complete stranger. She looks in her cupboard. She sees the bowl of flour getting smaller and smaller. And here she is told another stranger is going to come into your home and, by the way, provide for him too. I want you to feed him. I don't want you to feed him. I'm commanding you to feed this man. She, the widow, with hardly a crumb to her name, is supposed to take in another stranger and provide for his needs as well when she can't even provide for the needs of her and her son. The stranger would reveal to the widow needs that she didn't even know that she had and not only reveal these needs but also provide for them. The stranger spoke of some other nation's God, the Lord God of Israel, and how he would somehow multiply her flour and oil. While her nation's gods wouldn't be able to do that, her nation's gods didn't do that. Her nation's gods didn't even care for her. A single mom just trying to raise her son. Elijah would live with her, continue to tell her of this wonderful God who just continued to keep on providing for them at every meal, as that flour never ran out and that oil never ran out either. She began to think, maybe there's something to this God. Things continued on happily until her son got sick. She tried caring for him, but there was nothing that she could do to help him. And so she held her dying son helplessly as he breathed his last breath and died. And so she lashes out against the prophet and reveals something hidden deep within her heart. She doesn't wear out on the surface, but through the pain, we see this need. What is it that she says in verse 18? What is this need that we see? She says this, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. What is it that is troubling this poor widow who has now just lost her only son? She's convinced that her son's death is her fault. Convinced that her son's death is retribution for some sin that she had long since forgotten about. That she had tried to no longer remember, but here with this prophet, this man of God living with her. She claims that this man of God found out about her sin and has brought it to the attention of his God. And now she's being punished for it. She says if he hadn't been living with them, if he never would have came to them, his God would have never found out about her sin and her son would still be alive. You see her need. Her son had just died. And so there is the need of her son to be brought back to life. She misses her son. But her greater need, her deeper need, her more painful need here is the additional guilt thinking that because of her sin, her son has died. That somehow because of her, that her son's life was taken from her. 
And this guilt of her own sin is enough to crush this already crushed grieving mother. But the Lord knows her burden. And the Lord knows her pain as well. And yes, the Lord even knows the sin that she has already tried to forget about. But consider this. The Lord didn't command her to provide for Elijah just so that Elijah's physical needs would be met. But the Lord commanded for her to provide for Elijah so that her needs would also be met. See what happens next in the story. Elijah takes the boy up to his room and cries out to the Lord. He prays for something that had never been done before in the history of the world. Elijah prays, let this child's life return to him. And the author wastes no time in resolving this tension. Will it happen? Verse 22 declares, The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. God heard the prayers of this prophet, and God answered the prayers and brought life back into this child again. Her son is given back to her. But more than that, his life is proof to her that the Lord doesn't delight in punishing her because of her sin. And nor does the Lord do that. The iniquity that she was so worried about from keeping from everybody's, everybody else would be dealt with in a different way. It has been dealt with. And at the end of the chapter, this lady comes to the realization that Elijah truly was a prophet of God. And that the word of the Lord in his mouth is truth. She had come to know the truth. The Lord ministered to all of this Gentile woman's needs, her needs of physical bread, the resurrection of her son, but also the forgiveness of her sin and the knowledge of the truth and the realization that the God of Israel provides for all of her needs. And not only provides for all of her needs, but the God of Israel is the God who cares for her. The story of Elijah and this widow and her son is a great story that sparks plenty of different emotions in the reader's hearts. But if we leave it at that, we fail to see the relevance of it. And it becomes just another story about some characters and no different books than you can check out of your local library. But the truth is, this story is true. And this story is written for our own instruction. This story reveals to us the God who provides for our daily bread. Not just for some people who lived some 3,000 years ago, but for you today still. We still have physical needs that need to be met. And we can worry about them, and sometimes we do worry about them. There are days when we look around us and it seems that the rain quits falling. It seems that the brook is starting to dry up, and it seems like the ravens aren't coming to bring us food anymore. There are days when complete strangers enter into our lives and demand that we provide for them, too. There are days where it may seem like you are about ready to take the little bit of flour that you have left to bake your final meal and to just wait to die. In these days, and in every day, the Lord is the one who is providing for your daily bread, and he provides for you. There may be times in your life when you look at the terrible circumstances you find yourselves in, and you may think that you're being punished for some unconfessed sin that you have, that you haven't told anybody else about, that no one you swear knows about. 
Whether it's getting your car totaled or problems with your house, family members walking away from the Lord, or too much rain to harvest, or maybe hail comes and wipes out your whole crop, or any other thing, the truth of the matter is that God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our own iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Lord has provided forgiveness for all of your sins. And so he no longer deals with you on a sin-to-sin basis, offering punishment for you for every little sin and every big sin that you do. God's not like that. Instead, he has already dealt with it in a different way. He has already removed that sin from you. We know this because the Lord has sent his prophets to you to share your, his word of truth. And this word of truth has been written down and it's available for each one of you to read it, to study it, and to see how God has provided and how God does provide for you. And this word of truth tells us of another event that has never before happened in the history of the world. A Savior, God in the flesh, being born of a virgin and living a perfect life. A Savior who has never sinned, becoming sin on your account, on my account, and dying for that sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God that we might be forgiven, that we might be raised to new life. And the Savior who was crucified was died and laid into a tomb, sealed with a stone. But the Savior who was crucified is also risen and raised to new life, promising us the assurance that you are forgiven of your sin, promising you new life as well, eternal life. In Christ Jesus, you are forgiven. God doesn't deal with us according to our sin. Instead, he is gracious, merciful, and patient toward you, not wishing for you to perish, but wishing for you and for all people to come to repentance and faith, that you might receive the forgiveness that Christ has accomplished on the cross. So today, if you are holding on to some kind of secret sin, or even some kind of open sin or unbelief, God is calling you, to himself, through his word, to see that he cares for you, to see what it is that he has done for you, calling you to see all that he has done for you and for you to believe and to trust in him. He's calling for you today to confess your sin, to turn from it, and to be forgiven. The Lord has abundantly provided for all of our needs, our physical needs, yes, but also our spiritual needs. He's provided for you a savior. He's provided forgiveness, salvation, life, his word and truth. He's provided safety and security, food and shelter, and everything that is needed to sustain this body and this life. And the Lord gives us these things this day and every day of our lives, our daily bread, because the Lord cares for you. We don't serve a God who is far off. We don't serve a God who doesn't care about you or doesn't know what you're going through. But we serve a God who knows you, who has provided for you, and promises to provide daily for all of your needs. So trust in him. 
and come to him today. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and we praise you for your goodness, for your truth, for your mercy, for your love, your compassion, for your provision. We thank you, Lord, for your provision in this story that we read, this historical account of your prophet, that even though the brook dried up, that your provision and your promise does not dry up, that even though this widow had no food, Lord, you could provide food and you did provide. We thank you for your provision and your care for this Gentile woman, this woman who had no care or concern for you and for providing for her and for her son, physical life and also eternal life. Father, we thank you and we praise you for these gifts that you've provided for us as well through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.